But nonetheless, I am here, and I tell you, I am excited to deliver to you what God has been showing me over the last few weeks. He's just, and, and you know what? It's funny because I didn't even realize that he had been showing me this until all these things day after day started coming together. And then I realized, wow, okay, God, so maybe, maybe I'm on to something here. Maybe this is what you want me to speak of, speak about. And so as I started digging into this topic, I started to see God give me more and more and more. I will tell you that this topic is a very deep well. There's no way we can mine it all out. Um, but over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to, we're going to take a deep look or explore deeply this topic I'm about to open up for you. First of all, Happy New Year again. Once again, it feels good to just be here. I am so glad that uh, 19 or 2018 is done because uh, that was quite a year. Every year in January, the third Monday of the month, it's a holiday. Jr. Tomorrow our nation will celebrate the legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with a holiday that bears his name. And I will tell you that as an African-American man, this day is really, really special for me because I can say beyond a shadow of doubt that many of the things that I get to enjoy, the freedoms that I enjoy today, can be traced back to the stand that was taken by Dr. King and others in the 50s and the 60s during the Civil Rights Movement. Dr. King dedicated and ultimately sacrificed his life for what he believed in. And, and you know, because he was African-American and he had been, um, he had experienced so many atrocities that faced African-Americans back in that day, principally, he was fighting for civil rights for black people. But his position in civil rights wasn't just for black people. It was equality for all. That's why his life still speaks. You know, it's been more than 50 years since he's been gone, and so I wanted to, to just stop and I know it's a church service, and you know, we'd, we'd, I'm going to get into the word. This is all relevant. Trust me when I tell you this, but I want to go back and just pick up a few quotes from Dr. King because Dr. King died before many of you were even born. I followed his life really closely. Here are a few of the quotes that I personally remember. 1956, Montgomery, Alabama. He says, we believe, I wasn't born then, of course, I was born in 1960, I'm not that old. Yeah, right? Okay, oh. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not that seasoned. Yes, that's what I meant to say. Yes. Um, but in 1956 in Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. King stated this, we believe in law and order. We are not advocating violence. We want to love our enemies, and if I am stopped, our work will not stop, for what we are doing is right. 1958, Dr. King stated, I could never adjust to the separate waiting rooms, the separate eating places, the separate restrooms, partly because the separate was always unequal, partly because the very idea of separation did something to my sense of dignity and self-worth. 
1964, upon receiving the Nobel Peace Prize, Dr. King said this as part of his speech, I am mindful that only yesterday in Birmingham, Alabama, our children crying out for brotherhood were answered with fire hoses and snarling dogs and even death. I am mindful that only yesterday in Philadelphia, Mississippi, young people seeking to secure the right to vote were brutalized and murdered. It's in my lifetime. 1965, at the march, after the march on the Alabama state capitol, Dr. King said this, we must have our freedom now. We must have the right to vote. We must have equal protection of the law. Segregation not only harms one physically, it injures one spiritually. It scars the soul. It is a system that forever stares the segregated in the face saying you are less than. You are not equal to. And then in 1963 on August 28th in his renowned I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King said this. I say to you today, my friends, Though even we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. I have a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. That we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day my four little children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color today, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Dr. King was a great man. Today, more than 50 years after his assassination, the glory of his life, a life well lived, continues to speak. I'm living proof of this. I am living the dream of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And as I look around this congregation, we are all living the dream of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Black people, white people, Hispanic people, Korean people, Alaska Native people, people of all all races and color, all in the same place right here, worshiping God together, free of retribution. <laughs> we all are living proof of Dr. Dream, Dr. King's dream. But more importantly, as I reflect back on the life of Dr. King, it caused me to reflect on the truth about all of life. You see, I have this image in my mind that one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to look at our lives as if he's looking in a mirror to see what it will reflect. Here's what I believe. I believe on that day that God will be looking for one thing. That's his own glory in our lives. Is my life a mirror that reflects his image? Is my life a mirror that reflects his glory? Has his glory been revealed in me? Can he see his glory when he looks at me? So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this topic of, 
of the glory of God in a series that I've titled For His Glory. And I've titled the message today, What's in Your Mirror? What's in Your Mirror? If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you were at the gathering several weeks back where 12, no, 13 churches got together at the ark. How many of you were there for that? Well, 13 churches got together at the ark, shut their doors on a Sunday morning to come together as one body. It was amazing. And so we, we used as, as the text for that gathering um, John chapter 17, and I had the, the opportunity of leading off with John chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. So I want to read it to you today, show you how God puts all this together. John chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. Do you write a guy? Hmm? Everybody got it? I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory. Everybody say glory. With the glory I had with you before the world existed. Today I want to introduce you to three points of discussion as it relates to the glory of God and I'm hoping that over the next few weeks as we unpack the glory of God, that this will cause you to, even in your, in your different groups, in your small groups, and um, in, your, in your time with friends, that you'll discuss these points together. First of all, what is glory? And why does God reveal his glory? And how is God's glory revealed in us. What is glory? Why does God reveal his glory? And, and how is God's glory revealed in us? So first, what is glory? The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It means having weight or substance. The word is commonly used in the Bible to describe the splendor and the holiness of God. Glory in this sense that I'm speaking of is often associated with people who've experienced the presence of God in a tangible, substantive, heavy, awesome way. The weight of his glory, kabod. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 5, somewhere around verse 12, we have this scene where there's 120 priests and, and a bunch of singers with instruments that go into the house of God and in unison they offer up praises of thanksgiving and, and honor and worship to God. And it says in this song, during this song, that the glory of God rest, rested on that place. 
that the, that the Lord filled the house with the cloud of his glory to the degree that his glory in that place was so overpowering that the priest couldn't stand under the weight of it. The glory of God. You know, I've experienced what that's like in many settings as a Pentecostal youngster. Man, I have seen the glory of God so thick in the room that I remember watching, looking up over in the corner as I watched the glory of God swirl like a mist. I'm seeing it with my natural eyes, swirl like a mist, and then come down and sweep through the crowd and rest on someone, and I watch them fall out under the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it with my own eyes. We've experienced God's glory here. I recall several services, one in particular, where we didn't get through the second song and the glory of God showed up in this place. And we just began to pray for one another and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. And I remember giving instruction at the end of that service saying, listen, you know, if you have to leave, if you must leave, then I ask that you reverence the glory of God in this place and just, just exit quietly. And I remember that it was probably 10, 15 minutes before anybody even moved in this place. Because we were experiencing the glory of God. The weight, the substance of the glory of God just makes you want to sit in his glory and worship, doesn't it? <laughs> now, on the other hand, the glory of God can be terrifying. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Isaiah says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. Two wings, he covered his feet. And with two wings, he did fly. And they called out to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Everybody say glory. And the foundations of the, of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is, this is Isaiah, I said to myself, whoa, it's me. For I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. The place was shaken. He's like, whoa. I can imagine some of y'all understand what that's like. During that earthquake, how long ago? About a couple months ago? Remember that? I wasn't here for it, but I've talked to a whole lot of y'all about it. I've talked to many people about it. I've talked to many people, and I have, yet, I have yet to talk to a person that when the earthquake hit, they was like, whoo, man, this is awesome. Woo, this is fun. No. Every single one of y'all in here was like, man, where is the safest place for me to be right now, right? 
I talked to one person who was laying in the bed when this happened, and she was like, man, the bed was shaking, and I thought to myself, where should I go? And then I was told that the safest place for me to be is on the bed, so I thought, well, you know, not, if God comes to get me now, at least I'm in the place that I love the most. <laughs> I talked to others, I talked to others that when the earthquake happened, they were thinking, Okay, I need to get underneath the door frame. And so they run to the doorpost and everything's shaking. They're like, wait a minute, is this a low-bearing wall? Is this thing going to come down on me? And so they're like, well, maybe I need to dive under the table. So shoot, they get underneath the table like, nah, man, this ain't working either. This thing is continuing to go. It's shaking, man. They were terrified. So what am I going to do? I'm going to run outside the house and get in a place where I can see everything. Why? Because it it was terrible. Am am, Am I wrong? When is this thing going to (laughs) stop? Overwhelming. Isaiah said the thresholds, the foundation shook. (laughs) I'd even say this. Much like when you've been in the glory of God, you always think back and you wonder when is it, man, God, when are you going to let your glory fall again? If you were in that earthquake, you know good and well, I'm telling you the truth, that every single time a tremor happens, you're thinking, is, it, is, is this going to be an earthquake? Another one, am I right? Hmm. Because the glory of God is weighty, it's worshipful, but it's also terrifying. But at the same time, the glory of God can be majestic, filled with brilliance and and radiance and beauty and and honor and greatness. David writes in Psalms 19, you heard me read it this morning. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day by day, day to day, pours our speech, night by day. Tonight reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Creation shouts to the glory of God, doesn't it? And then I love what, what Paul writes here in Romans chapter, chapter 1, verse 19. He says, And what can be known about God is plain to them who, to to everyone, whether you want to plead ignorance, willful ignorance to the glory of God or not. It's plain. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Everybody say the glory of God. I love what author Stephen Hawthorne says about the glory of God. He said, God is so rich that he bestows extravagant honor upon his servants without compromising his own majesty and brilliance and greatness in the slightest. To glorify someone is to recognize and honor their intrinsic worth and beauty and to speak of that feature in a public way. So to glorify God is to praise or to speak of him openly and truthfully. Hmm. 
the glory of God. Why does God reveal his glory? Here's the reason. God reveals glory to receive glory. God reveals his glory to receive glory. Our Father purposely reveals who he is to all people and what he's done in all creation for one reason, to glorify himself through our response of loving worship of him. When we praise God, we glorify God. I don't know if this originated from John Piper, but, but I give him credit for it. That God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Hmm. At the heart of true worship is the glory of God. God's driving purpose is to be loved by a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And as our love for God grows, our response to his love grows. And as our response grows, we desire to live a life that's filled with worship, which is the full purpose of God's love for us. And as we worship him in that way, his purpose for glorifying himself is accomplished in this earth. You guys get that? There's an author that wrote this. I don't know who it is. I don't think anybody knows who it is, but I think it's, it's, I think it's spot on. Glory is the relational beauty of God that every person's heart yearns to behold and even enter into. Glory is the relational beauty of God that every person's heart yearns to behold and even enter into. God reveals his glory because as he reveals his glory to us, and we worship him with a heart of thanksgiving. His glory is revealed in us. He glorifies himself in us. Yeah? So what does that mean, Pastor Greg? How can I experience this for myself? How can I know for certain that God's glory is being revealed in me. How is God's glory revealed in us? As followers of Christ, one of the ways that God's glory is revealed in us is by us recognizing that God has created everyone as equals and that every single person equally needs Jesus. Let me say that again. 
One of the ways as followers of Jesus Christ that God's glory is revealed in us is by us allowing the Holy Spirit to show us that all men were created equal and all men and women equally need Jesus. See, Jesus Christ came and gave his life to reconcile broken relationships between God and man. The passion of Christ is for equal opportunity in relationship with the Father. Watch this now, for all people. Wow. So Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 19 and 20. And talk about how God's glory is revealed in us. Listen to what he says. I'm just going to paraphrase it. He says, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, our body becomes the house of the Holy Spirit of God. He dwells in us. He goes on to say, that in that moment that that transformation occurs, that we are no longer our own, but we are purchased, bought with the price through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then he says this, understanding this, we are to glorify God in our bodies. His passion must be my passion. His desire must be my desire. I must see the world around me as he sees it through his eyes. I'm to live in the world around me with the same passion of reconciliation for reconciliation that Jesus had for us and has for us. That's what it means to glorify God in our bodies. become more and more like Jesus every single day. I thought it was fitting that I would close with these comments today because I didn't even know that that they were there until I went to put my slides together this morning. And I was working with Nate and he was asking me, you know, where, where are you coming from? And I never even mentioned the mirror. Never even mentioned it. But I woke up to these comments and I thought, what a perfect way to end. Here's Nate's comments. The glory of God is a reflection of who he is, his character, his spirit in me. We are a mirror made to reflect his glory. A mirror broken without Christ showing glimpses as a result of being made in his image, but distorted. A mirror broken without Christ, showing glimpses as a result of being made in his image, but distorted. When the Holy Spirit shows us our need for Christ, who then sanctifies us so that we can live with the Father is the ultimate reflection of his glory. So I want to close today by asking you this question.
What's in your mirror? You, what that when you allow God the Holy Spirit to show you, you, what does He see? What do you see? And are you willing, as the Holy Spirit reveals to you those aspects of your character that are unchrist like, are you willing to surrender those things to God so that you can reflect? Every day, more and more, Christ-like character, Christ-like behavior. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and prove what is God's will, his good, his acceptable and perfect will for you. I urge you this week as you stand with me. Just like you look in a natural mirror to see what's there so that whatever you see that you don't like, you take the opportunity to change. I want you this week to ask the Holy Spirit to challenge each other as you ask them this question. When I see myself through my spiritual eyes in the spiritual mirror, does my life reflect the glory of God? And if so, where? So I can fortify it. And if not, where? So I can surrender it. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is forever settled in heaven. God, help us to be mindful every single day of the weight of your glory because we are carriers of your glory as your children. Help us to understand what that means as we enter into the workplace, what it means as we enter into our relationships with one another at home, what it means as we go out into the world and serve others, what it means to be your ambassadors, carrying the weight of your glory. And help us to ask ourselves this week, all week, what's in my mirror? so that you can be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.